Thank you for joining us here at Revolution 22. We are a church in downtown Boise, Idaho. As we learn from God's word in Philemon, we pray that his word would be received and would bear fruit in your life. Father, we come to you today in full recognition that we live underneath your sovereign rule, that we seek to walk humbly as those who are a part of your kingdom. Lord, I pray that we would uh, allow ourselves to attach fully to one another and to you in a spirit of knowing you and walking and acting out your gospel. Lord, I pray that you would give wisdom to our leaders, you would give discernment. And Lord, I pray if there is something or anything that you desire to do in and through them in our homes, in our city, in the church, Lord God, I just pray that you would guide them, lead them, that you would help them, that their minds would be set at ease, that you are leading in every way. And that we seek to walk humbly with you as our leader. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we begin a new letter of Paul. This one is the letter to Philemon. Okay, I'm going to give you of where we're going here. Uh, The reason why I want to tell you where we're going today is because if I rabbit trail, you know I will bring it back. Uh, The notes will keep me there, and I want you to hopefully feel confident that if you do nap, you know where you are and what you missed. So the idea that I am giving you today is this thought process. First, I want us to read the whole letter of Philemon. It's 25 verses. We're going to read it together, and then we will walk through some context for the letter, really the who, what, where, when, and why, okay? And the why is where we're going to camp out most of the rest of today, because the why of this letter is kind of the main point. Okay. With that said, there really are two major themes and we'll get into that. But the thing that is the overall picture of the letter, this letter to Philemon, this overall picture is this idea that we act out the gospel together. It's the gospel that we believe, right? That Christ died. I am forgiven, but there are so many benefits to the gospel, for us, right? We have been forgiven, thus we forgive. We have been graced, thus we grace. We have been given mercy, thus we give mercy. We have been given reconciliation with God, thus we reconcile. There are many aspects to the gospel that we are to act out with one another. And when we act out the good news, we are being like Christ, which is what the church is called to be. So that's why we act out the gospel. And Philemon is a representation of acting out the gospel in a circumstance. It is taking a scenario that society in their day and time, their culture, would see as a difficult one, and it's literally injecting what the gospel is into it. It's, it's formulating a new way of thinking above and beyond culture into a heavenly mindset of which God brought down to earth through Christ to put inside of us to live here on earth. And so we look to act out the gospel 
And Philemon is an example of that. So as we talk a little bit more about that, as we read this letter together right now, just think about that. We act out the gospel. We follow in the footsteps of Jesus, doing what Jesus did with one another together here today. This is the letter to Philemon. It starts in verse 1. Obviously, it is one chapter. It is 25 verses total, so I'm going to read it out loud to us here, and then we'll, uh, we'll dive into some more context. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me, in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent, in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me even yourself. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that your prayers, that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Some context. The who of this letter is fairly simple, and in the first three verses, we really see some of the main characters. You see Paul. The Apostle Paul, in prison, likely in Rome, is writing this letter along with Timothy. Now, why he mentions Timothy here could be any reason. Conjecture kind of would say this, that it's likely that the Colossian church, which was not a place that Paul went. Paul did not go to Colossae and plant a church. The Colossian church was likely planted by Epaphras, who is a pastor of that church, who probably met up with Paul when Paul was in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is like 100 miles from Colossae, okay? And I might be wrong, and that might be more like 100 kilometers, but it's close enough where Epaphras, Philemon, whoever might have gone to do some business, met up with Paul, heard Paul, became Christians, took this back to their little town. And then, so in Colossae, you've got Philemon, Aphia, and Archippus in this story are likely 
relatives of Philemon, okay? They're probably either his wife and son, something like that, where you see that literally Philemon has a church in his house, right? So whatever's happening here, we know that Paul knows of these people. He likely has met these people, but he also likely has never visited them at their town or their city. He's never been there. But still, the tone is interesting because the tone is personal. Okay, this is not authoritarian, but it's loving and hopeful. It's got this tone to it where he uses literally no authority language. If you look back at the first three verses, he doesn't say Paul, an apostle. He doesn't say Paul, the person who can tell you what to do. I'm your pastor. No, he says, I'm Paul, the prisoner. What else does he say? He calls him his fellow worker. Why? Paul is setting something up here. He is showing an example of what it means to have this community life. Even if you're not in the same place, you have this community life, this idea that we have something in common. We share in something together. We are together in this. Now, Paul even says, I could command you to do this, but I'm not going to. Why? Because I trust that you're going to do it. Because it's what it means to act out the gospel. A key figure not mentioned in these first three verses, or even really the beginning part, is this person, Onesimus. Onesimus is a runaway slave, okay? Onesimus literally ran away from Philemon, probably ends up in Rome, which is the massive city, right, of about a million people. Colossae, probably thirty to 40,000. So Onesimus has to go a long distance to end up in Rome. Okay, I don't know how he meets Paul. Okay, there's no telling of how he meets Paul. There's no example of, hey, he ran into him one day. Paul's in prison. So how he runs into Paul, no one knows. But I will say this, if it was simply the providence of God, a million people, and somehow Onesimus finds Paul, a guy in prison, that's remarkable. Now we get back to the exact nature of the situation. We get back to looking at this thing and going, wait a second. The Lord is orchestrating something here. Unique, different, cool, whatever you want to say. But somehow or another, you've got somebody who ran away from someone. And you've got somebody who literally meets him. He becomes a believer, Onesimus, and begins to help Paul. Now some what, right? That's the who. The what of this. A little bit of context about their culture. Rome was a place that literally had a slave economy. Now, there's a big difference between the transatlantic slave trade that we experience in the United States and Roman slavery. Roman slavery had with it this idea that it wasn't about ethnicity. Roman slavery was based more on uh, a few different factors, right? Roman slavery could be that you were a prisoner of war, and so thus you came in, right? different ethnicity, different race. You could have had a hard time. Maybe your family was destitute, and so maybe you sold. Literally, there's stories of this. You sold a child to pay for the rest of the family. There are lots of different examples of why someone would be a slave, but one in three people in the city of Rome were slaves, and one in five people in the entire kingdom were slaves. 20% of the human beings in the Roman Empire were slaves. It is a slave-based economy. So what does this mean? 
Well, Rome also was deeply afraid of slaves. Okay? They, had, they walked around with a fear of their slaves. So if there's 20% of the people who are slaves, then they literally had a sense at which, oh my gosh, these people at any point could revolt and we're all done for. So the Romans, in their fear, did lots of things like make sure that they dressed their slaves the same as anybody else who was Roman. Okay? There were lots of examples of how Rome showed their fear. One of them was slaves had zero rights. Zero. Slave masters had all the rights. Now, that's not equality. But what that is, is an example and an opportunity for the gospel to come in and change things. To change the setting. To change and show how it's different than the rest of the world. So that is the context for which Onesimus, Philemon, and Paul all understand You have a person who has no rights, and you have a person who has all the rights. And Paul appeals to the person with all the rights who is a believer to take this other person and literally bring them into the family. Totally different shape and form from the rest of the world. Why? Because what you got to understand is Philemon lives in a world where if he doesn't brutalize Onesimus... His friends, his rich, wealthy friends, likely will see him as an outcast among them. You got to understand, Philemon, by doing this, by taking Onesimus back and showing great mercy and grace and bringing Onesimus into the family, is in a way likely culturally alienating himself from the people he knows. That's a bigger picture idea. Because it's not just... Philemon taken back. This is not just about, it's about literally showing how the gospel transforms people who are rich, a slave owner, culturally, they're the, they're the highest of the high. They have all the rights to somebody who has no rights. And it puts them in the same family and says, you are together now. You have been gospeled. You are now to act it out together You no longer see each other culturally. You see each other as God sees you. So where? Paul, in Rome, under house arrest. Philemon in Colossae. Now, Colossae is this small town. That's another factor you have to look at when you understand culturally what's going on here. This is a small town slave owner who potentially could be alienating all of his friends who potentially could be bringing backlash on his family because the rest of the slave owners are fearful. If you don't come down hard, they will rise up. The fear that's ingrained in him culturally, he has to go against because the gospel teaches something completely different. Can you imagine that scenario? Potentially he stole from him when he left. Can you imagine the mindset that he's in culturally, Philemon, to then look at Onesimus and say, we are equals. In a small town that's an agricultural town in the Roman Empire. This is different, man. This is different. This is what the gospel acted out looks like in any scenario culturally, even if it goes against. 
Now, this was probably written around 62 AD. Now, that's important only in the sense that Colossae, which once was important, is no really, like, it's not important anymore, okay? It's small town, kind of, not, it's not podunk, but it's definitely small town. Now, Colossae was destroyed twice by earthquakes, AD 17 and AD 60. This letter was written in AD 62. Likely, they're still rebuilding, right? Now, why is that important? Because possibly Onesimus ran away in one of the darkest hours of Philemon's life. Potentially, right? Philemon is trying to rebuild whatever he had, and Onesimus takes off, potentially taking things from him in the middle of a time when he has no resources. Now, what's interesting is not to think about that in the sense of trying to judge the situation. It's thinking about it mindset-wise. Again, how is this letter going to land on the doorstep of Philemon, who is a believer, but is not necessarily acting out everything that he can in the sense of the gospel, but needs to understand how the gospel changes everyday life here. That's a big part of it, right? Is understanding the context, but now the why. This is where we'll land for the rest of today. There's really two major themes here, okay? And I want you to hear this. Two major themes in this entire letter. The first one is reconciliation. When you act out the, 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 the reconciliation that the gospel has taught us with each other, what you have to realize is how far you've come. When you realize that where God brought you from the time at which you were in your own sin to this other time when you're in Christ, you have been literally bridged a massive chasm. Why do I say that? Because you and I were separated from God. Well, why is that important? Most people feel separated from God. What difference does that make? Don't we just walk and live? Because you don't know how good it is to not have the weight of that separation on you until you feel freedom. Ah, but that's it with the Lord. When we see the gap bridged and we feel and experience closeness with God, all of a sudden we knew what we didn't have. You all of a sudden realize, oh, like I, I can be close to the one who commands heaven army, heaven's armies. I can be close to the one who owns cattle on a thousand hills, who is finally, for the first time, a relationship that is all good. The first person you can trust fully, that is a deep, long divide that until you experience that freedom because of what Jesus did, until you experience that freedom, you don't know the weight you were feeling. You don't know the conflict you were walking in. And the only way I say it is this way. If you've ever lived in a house that had a lot of conflict, if you've ever been a part of a group of people that had a lot of conflict, that had a lot of separation from one another, where people took that conflict and became bitter, or took that conflict and became angry, long-standing, then if you remember what that feeling was, you didn't realize how stressed out, how hard it was until you left. But when you did, you went, oh my gosh, that place was brutal. That friend group was terrible. I mean, they were just tearing each other down all the time. I didn't even know it. Man, my family just fought all the time and never got over it. And once you experience something different, you go, wow, like this is, this is better. I, I don't want to walk in bitterness and anger all the time. I want to live in this closeness with the people around me where there's no distance, where there's no anger. I want to walk in that. And what you don't realize is that the God of the universe and every person experiences that 
until they come to know him. You experienced that and didn't know it until you came to know him. And that freedom is to be lived out with one another. So why is that a theme here? Well, because in that freedom, we are intended to take that aspect of what Jesus did for us and we are to do it with one another. Now, what do I mean? If you want to be like Christ, you then act out the gospel in everyday life. You gotta understand that. Hear me, okay? If you want to be like Christ and not just be thankful for what he did for you, but to actually be who you are and be like him, then you will end up doing the things he did. If he reconciled the world to himself, then you have a ministry of reconciliation. If he was the one who brought grace to you, then you are to be grace to others. If he brought you forgiveness, then you forgive. If he brought you mercy for the first time in your life, then you show mercy. If he is kind, then you are kind. Is that making sense? That is where we see 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 19, in this idea of this common faith, right? All of a sudden we start to see, oh wait, if we're trying to be like Jesus and act out the gospel, then we're going to see each other as more similar and more common because we have this common mission. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 19 says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us, us, the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Now, this is our ministry. This is what it looks like. And that is that conflict is going two directions. All conflict is going one of two directions. It is either going towards reconciliation or it is going towards bitterness, anger, fighting. See, what are you going to do in that? What are you going to do in that? What does it look like to take the conflict that you're experiencing and act out the gospel? moving it closer and closer to reconciliation. Ephesians 4, 31 to 32 says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. See, as a community, if we have conflict, if we move closer to reconciliation, we show the rest of the world who Jesus is. As a community, we move farther and farther away from reconciliation. We show the world that they need to find their hope elsewhere. The hope that is in Christ is reflected in how the gospel is acted out in the body of Christ. And this brings us to our second theme. And this one is the broad theme. This one is overarching. We see this word used twice in this letter. It's this word koinonia. Okay, now loosely translated, it means fellowship. But I want to explain this a little bit more. Uh, Part of it is I think that our view of fellowship is, is not broad enough. Okay, so when I say this, this word in Greek literally means sharing. Okay, it's a sharing of all things. 
Now, before you just start thinking about money, because we're Americans, all right, let's start thinking in a different direction. We share the gospel with one another in a sense, right? Now, when you think of sharing the gospel, you might think of speaking the words of what Jesus did. It's so much more than that. Sharing the gospel is acting it out with one another. Sharing the gospel is acting out reconciliation. Sharing the gospel is acting out grace. Sharing the gospel is acting out forgiveness. We share freely. Why? Because Christ has given us more than we can give away. Of all of these things, you cannot give away enough of what Christ has brought to you because you will never, ever, ever run that well dry. He will continually use you to be an agent, a ministry for reconciliation, for grace, for forgiveness in the world. Why? Act out the gospel. You are being like Jesus. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus wants us to do. That's the sharing. It's bigger than possessions. It's bigger than that. It's a sharing of ourselves. It's a sharing of our common faith with one another. It's a walking in the gospel daily with one another. So why is this so big? Why is it so big for Philemon? Because what Paul is calling Philemon to do shows you how difficult it is sometimes to share the gospel with one another. Philemon is now put in a position where he will be more united with the people of God or he will be more united with his friends. When he makes this choice, when he walks in the choice he has, he has to decide, am I more commonly, do I have more in common with the church or do I have more in common with my friends? What do I mean by that? If Christ is in you, you have more in common with people who are in Christ than with any other person, no matter what it is. Why? Why would I say that? Well, because look at Acts 2.42. From the very outset, Acts 2.42 to 46, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, that's koinonia, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles, or through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. This is where we get back to the tone of this letter of Philemon. Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus were the same family of faith. It doesn't matter that in the world, at least in this context, it doesn't matter that in the world Philemon was rich and Onesimus was a slave and Paul was nothing more than a traveling teacher. It matters that they shared Christ and nothing is more shareable or more in common than that. No matter who you are, where you come from, your background, your people group doesn't matter as much as your common faith. No, no, hear me on that, wherever you are. Because you will be tempted in the world to separate, segregate, 
and disunify because you're a part of different communities. Whatever that is, whatever those things are for you, if you are a part of the family of faith, you are more a part of the family of faith than any other group you can attach yourself to. You have more in common here with believers than you do with any other group you can attach yourself to. Lean into that. Lean hard into that. Because you will be tempted to go to bitterness, anger, clamor, malice toward each other when things don't go the way you want them to go. But conflict, if there is conflict, needs to lead towards reconciliation. Down that path. Why? Because we're acting out the gospel together. We are reflecting who Jesus is to the rest of the world, even though Jesus is in heaven and we're here on earth, right? We're reflecting that to the rest of the world by how we treat each other, by who we are together. Now, I want to read a a series of verses to you and end here. It's not even just that, okay? It's not even that you have more in common. It's that you have the same mind. You literally have the same mind. We together have the same mind. I'm going to read a series of verses that talk about the mind for just a second. This is 1 Corinthians 1.10, where he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and same judgment. Again, he's asking them to lead towards reconciliation. Lean into that. Don't let bitterness, anger, malice, slander, anything pull you away from the community of God, your koinonia. 1 Peter 3.8, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Philippians 2.2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Is this even possible? How do we have the same mind? What is the mind? 1 Corinthians 2, 14 to 16. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understand, or who can, or who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? but we have the mind of Christ. Where's your head at? Because it should be Jesus, right? We have the mind of Christ. No matter what distance you feel, you share the same mind. And it's Jesus. That means you have more in common together than you do with any other group of people. Why? Because no matter how much you agree with someone else, they don't share your mind. At your core, those who love God will seek to be more and more like Jesus and their mind to be more and more Jesus. Acting out the gospel together means that we act in one mind. Reconciliation grace, forgiveness, humility, kindness, sacrifice. In all things, the hope that the world longs for, 
because of the weight that they feel of the problems that are persistent in the world. Guys, I talked about slavery 2,000 years ago. There is still slavery today. There are problems here. I believe that the hope of the world is Jesus. Fully believe that. If you believe that, then we are of the same mind. If we disagree on the how-tos, okay, let's come to reconciliation at some point. But what we always will agree on, Lord willing, is that we look to Jesus as the hope. Philemon, do you think that your world is more important than Jesus? No, Philemon doesn't. That's why Paul is confident that Philemon will make the choice to bring Onesimus back, and not just as a slave, but as a brother. Why? Because that's the gospel. It's reconciliation, and it's grace. I was a slave to my sin, wandering away from God, running as far as I could, and he brought me back, and he brought me into his family. We act out the gospel as a reflection of what we've been given. We give the gospel daily with one another, hourly with one another, because we cannot outgive what we've been given by God. Let me pray. Father, I pray, Lord, I pray, I pray, God, that we would continue to walk in the hope that you show us. Lord, I pray that we would not um, be moving toward bitterness and anger and slander and malice, but we would be moving toward reconciliation, that we would be a part of walking that direction with one another fully. Lord, I pray that um, the story of Philemon, that we would live that story out with each other. That people would see Jesus in us because Jesus is our same mind. Lord, I just praise you for who you are. Thank you so much. We've been brought so far and we have so far to go. But I'm so excited about the journey knowing the hope that we have in you. We love you, Lord. We worship you. We praise you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. Please visit revolution22.org to find out more information about our church. We remind you to continue to value community. We pray that God's word has drawn you closer to him and that you may continue